HR leaders, what's on your mind these days? Is it AI? Is it the economy? The talent market? Remote work? Retention? DEI? Pay transparency? New laws? Our 2024 Workplace Trends Report outlines how HR leaders are thinking about these challenges and what they believe will help their organizations overcome them. Want to find out what they said? Head on over to peoplemanagingpeople.com forward slash workplace trends 2024 and download the report to find out. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tim Reitzma, the resident host of People Managing People. Welcome to the podcast. We're people managing people and we want to lead and manage better. We're owners, founders, entrepreneurs, we're middle managers, we're team leaders. We're managing people and yes, we do human resources, but we're not HR, at least not in the traditional sense. We're on a mission to help people lead and manage their teams and organizations more effectively. So if you want to lead and manage better, if you want to become a better organizational leader and more effective people manager, then join us. Keep listening to the podcast to find the tips, tricks, and tools you need to recruit, retain, manage, and lead your people and organization more effectively. And while listening to the show, please subscribe and join our mailing list on peoplemanagingpeople.com to stay up to date with all that's going on. Welcome to the People Managing People podcast, where we aim to help you drive focus on your people with exploring the best of building company culture, employee engagement, talent, and human resource management. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Tim Reitzma, culture creator with Spark Creations and co-founder of the Culture Assassins Media Company. Here's a question for you. Is your company stuck? Is it being held back with archaic process, hierarchy constraints, Are you seeing your competitors launch products ahead of you? Or are you struggling to hire people or retain talent? I think my guest today is going to be able to provide some insights and offer some really simple strategies on how to get unstuck. So my guest today is Teresa Duke. She recently wrote a a white paper on how to build an agile workforce. This paper is focused on guiding HR and talent leaders, yes, that's you, people leaders, on how to create more agility in talent strategies. Teresa has extensive experience in leading people in all sizes of organizations to recently venturing out as a consultant. Teresa is a go-to speaker and expert on values-based hiring, building and executing talent strategies, and is a sought-after executive coach. So welcome, Teresa. Thank you, Tim. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to have you. I've been following you for quite some time as well as, you know, we have a privilege of of consulting with the same company, Spark Creations, and um, you know, just love the the work you're doing and and just before we we hit the record button, you're telling me that you have discovered a passion for writing. So, <laughs> t- tell us a little bit about yourself, your purpose, your your passion for writing. You know, what fires you up? Oh, thank you. Um, well, writing found me, which was kind of funny. So, in the 15 years of uh, HR and recruiting that I've done in tech companies, um, you're always writing uh, branding and, and communications and you're teaching and training people a lot and conveying through the written word. And then um, in the last few months, I've had people ask me to do white papers and uh, blogs and things that I haven't done before. So that's been really, really fun to help, you know, convey thoughts and ideas that can help people maybe suffer a little less. And that's that's my, my MO is, is if there's something that I can 
teach or, tra- or train or help people develop that enables them to have a little bit more joy in their personal and professional lives. And and so as far as background um, in the music industry for a bit, definitely HR and recruiting. And now I've um, ventured out into my first love, which is learning development and doing coaching and facilitation, as well as the writing that underpins all of this. So I'm having a blast um, getting out there in the world in a different way. Wow. So yeah, your your career has really taken you in, in many different directions. And, and yeah. so, you know, as a consultant in this space and really pursuing your, your passion of, of learning and development and, and also writing, you know, what have, what has been the biggest takeaway for you? Oh my goodness. The biggest takeaway. So I, I still feel like a, like a newbie in the consultant land, but <laughs> I say, I say that you don't really get anywhere alone. So building um, a trusted network of people who tell you the truth and, and uh, support you on your way has been one of the most important things. And I actually coach a lot of um, HR people from junior to senior and with them, even the senior people, it's like, do you have a network of people that can support you? And how do you cultivate that? And it's, uh, it's very important because we don't get anywhere alone. It's uh, our life is a group effort at the end of the day, even though we're running a show. Um, it's really nice to have people along the way to support you. Hmm. I love that you had brought up trust and trusted network. And the last couple of podcasts, um, this has really come up as a topic. So, you know, stay tuned listeners for a whole podcast or maybe even a series of podcasts on trust and what does it actually mean? And, and I'm, I'm sure that also plays into this white paper that, uh, that you wrote on, on an agile workforce and how to build one. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, let's dive into that. I'm, I'm really curious on, the, even just a definition, what is an agile workforce? And maybe even more important for me, and I'll be selfish here, is, is why, why should we care? Why, why do we need yeah. to care in today's, in today's world? Well, you're going to find lots of buzzwords um, landing around when you look up agile workforce and people try to, you know, own it as a contingent workforce definition. Um, at the very beginning of any kind of paradigm shift, you'll you'll find terms being named and defined in many different ways. And and then whichever one takes is the exciting one that lasts. So, so I did a ton of research. And for our purposes, um, we define agile workforce um, as an internal and external workforce that's highly adaptable, structured to optimize an organization, organization's ability to execute on, on the outcomes that they want in this new, very fast moving, rapidly changing, highly competitive market. And so that's like the, the, you know, the technical definition that we're working with. And I should mention this white paper was sponsored by Weaver. So they were wonderful people that helped bring this to life. And we need more of these types of products. Um, and so there are basically internal and external elements to it. I make sure that I talk about internal external elements because it's not just contingent. It's not just about external solutions for agile workforce. It's also internal. So internal would be um, cross-functional teams, reskilling initiatives and technology, how you basically put your teams together in an agile, very different way. Um, In the external, it would be, you know, flexible on-demand freelancers, consultants, gigsters, um, people like that. It's important to know that you can have agility in your workforce in both ways. Um, but perhaps before I go further, Tim, maybe I should back up just quickly to agile, like where it came from. Mm-hmm. Like, that, because some people, yeah, some people might not know what that is. And it, it is going to be defined in many, many slight variations, but it basically came because 
developers, software engineers, were really frustrated with the the slow, frustrating delivery of technology in the early, you know, in the 1990s. And by the time they would release products, customers and markets had moved on. And so a group of technologists that were fed up created the Agile Manifesto with 12 principles. And the principles are basically passion for customer collaboration, continuous iteration. And they, they had all sorts of different methodologies that came out of that, such as Kanban and Lean and Scrum and so forth. So what does that mean for HR in terms of how we define the agile workforce? Um, it's the agile piece is, has been maneuvered into that agility and flexibility and adaptability because we're now in this crazy market where, um, everything is changing quite quickly. And, um, the way consumers are behaving in what they're calling an on demand economy, um, where we are getting everything quickly from our, our ride shares to our delivered groceries to our solutions online, it's changing the way that um, companies are having to develop things. They have to be faster, speedier, more innovative. And so that influences the way we, we structure our staffing and, our, and the way we hire and retain talent. And um, so in order to be competitive, we need to make sure that our workforce is changing alongside these types of um, economic changes as well. The, um, you know, the, uh, the World Economic Forum actually calls this the fourth industrial revolution. Um, and before it was, you know, relatively linear, that the one before this was digital. Um, but now the change is exponential and it, it's disrupting almost every industry and transforming entire systems of production and management and government. So it's, it's crazy. So if you're confused, be kind to yourself because no one knows exactly where things are going. <laughs> Basically. And um, in the workforce itself, with all of this on demand, they're like, hey, things are changing. Like there's kind of an inversion before it was like the companies were the powerful people and they still are. But now the workforce is saying, hey, I want to work remotely. I want to work in this way. And wow, technology facilitates my ability to have freedom. And what does that look like? So the nature of the workforce is changing. And so the agile workforce itself has different needs. Mm -hmm. Um and then one of the most painful pieces is there's a lack of skilled talent. So you're like, oh, but we have more population. Yes, but we don't have as many of the skilled talent that we need to meet this increasing demand because every company is now becoming a tech technology company. And not only that, but now we're competing on the global market. So companies all over the world are now vying for the same talent. Mm -hmm. Just like I think they said Ardent Partners did a study, 63% of businesses have got a scarcity in, um, in full-time talent pool. And um, and 67% in another study were reporting talent shortages. So significant. And we're dealing with a lot of unknowns. Yeah, I think it's there's there's so many unknowns into the future as well as the the what the future uh, workforce is going to demand right we've yeah. seen a really ri a real high rise in the remote workers and there's companies like Zapier who's fully remote 100% remote mm -hmm. versus very traditional brick and mortar companies who may be struggling with how to figure out how to have more of an agile process or agile um, talent pool so as, as a people leader, you know, whether you're you know, someone who leads a team of one or you're sitting at the top of an organization, if you want to think of hi a, a traditional hierarchies, you'd mentioned highly adaptable. So I, I'm really mm -hmm. curious, what do you think gets in the way of organizations becoming adaptable? And, and I bring this up because I was working with uh, a local tech company recently who 
instituted or implemented a one day a week work from home policy. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it was great. That's what the team was looking for. So, you know, is that the way to do it? Just institute something or do you just kind of let it happen? You know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is the hard part because at the end of the day, the first thing is it depends on the organization itself, where you're at, what you're doing, how big you are, how small you are, how, you know, the, the longer you've been around, the more, in de- you know, ingrained you have certain behaviors and what is right and certain leadership that have, have uh, you know, pitched making things in, in a certain way. Um, but following that, I would say that, you know, one of the things that holds back organizations um, is mindset. Um, so change is super hard. We know that there's there's tons of consultants making millions and millions of dollars a year trying to help organizations understand and comprehend and successfully manage change. Um, but there's this fear of change that we have. And up until the third industrial revolution, companies were set up for reliability and predictability. It was about having control. And you'll see a lot of mature organizations fall into this type of this type of way of being. Um, now that's totally out of the window because reliability and predictability, of course, I'm, unless you're talking about cyber, like security and systems, that's kind of different. And there's a way to be flexible, but you still have to have that reliability and predictability around that sort of uh, initiative and technology. But in general, it's out of the window in order to meet this new consumer fast-paced demand. And so you've got agility, flexibility, adaptability, speed, and it feels like you're losing control constantly. And then you have the startups who are also um, struggling because they become too unwieldy um, too mm-hmm. quickly and they don't mm-hmm. have the systems and structures and disciplines. Um, and so you've got this like these extremes of like, this is, this is how it's done. This is the way we do things. And a lot of leadership has been um, ingrained also in, in, in the way that, you know, I'm being paid to be an expert on what I know. And if I'm not an expert, then who the heck am I? But leadership is also transforming with this mindset into, okay, I don't know. And so my strength as a leader is now, how do we figure it out? Uh, even, even some people would venture to say, how do we disrupt ourselves constantly? So how do, we, how do we think like a competitor looking at ourselves two to three years down the line and see how we could undo the business that we have built? So everything is about taking taking apart what has been the framework for success in business for years and years and years and trying something differently so if you're so when i say it's mindset so then what do you do mm-hmm. you know, what do you do about what that? do you do and, that's, that's a great question <laughs> <laughs> you know this is the way we do things doesn't doesn't always work and so the first mindsets you've got to look at are your own and it's like so how am i having flexibility, adaptability, looking at what's possible for the future and how can I take apart what I've built if I need to and how attached am I to that? And then, of course, when you're trying to affect change, as all of us HR leaders have experienced, if you don't have leadership buy-in, if they're not willing to be vulnerable if, with the fact that they don't have the answer, but they're excited to explore, they're willing to you know, install the people that can be those initiatives, then you've got a hope in heck. Yeah. And you know, what, what you're talking about reminds me of, you know, back in my career, we had the company I was working for had a project. And the first thought from management was, okay, we'll just hire a team to, to help. 
And I was thinking, but we might not need these people in the future. So why hire people and, and then potentially have to let them go? So, uh, you know, you used the term gigsters. And so I'll use that as well. Yeah. And, and so we found uh, a team of people who just wanted to work on a contract and mm. they came in a couple of days a week, worked remote, um, made a significant impact in the business and gathered great insights. And, and it turned out we ended up hiring one of them, um, turned out they wanted to come in house. And so it was just a really great way to, to find talent, um, in an unconventional way where, you know, we needed to be agile because we had a project with a tight deadline and not enough resources, found the resources and yeah, ended up keeping one of the resources for, for a significant amount of time long-term as an employee. And yeah. so, so it's, yeah, I like what you said. It's really that mindset, but also, you know, it's being vulnerable to learning a new approach or taking a different approach because, as a people leader, somebody in HR or leading a team of engineers or leading a team of salespeople, if you're not doing it, somebody else is going to, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and it requires HR to not just be HR anymore. It requires HR to be business business partners. So having an understanding of what the market's doing, because in order to find these creative solutions for your talent strategy that are agile, understanding where they can exist. Um, so in addition to gigsters, I mean, crowdsourcing can work for some company mm-hmm. companies, um, startup partnerships where you have smaller startups and, and you, you know, maybe you've got this unwieldy or, you know, singular product focused company and you're like, things are going well, but really are we doing something innovative for the future? So then it's like, well, let's look at maybe partnering with a startup that has, you know, alignment with our values and our culture and, and something around our product. And can we partner with them to develop initiatives that are going to help us be able to pivot to what's going to happen the next two to three years? Um, offshoring, all sorts of really interesting things that you can do to, to help bolster up your talent strategy. And they, and they are business decisions, not just HR decisions, which is really exciting. Yeah, it's really just kind of breaking down that almost traditional hierarchy or hierarchical structure of of HR is just uh, its own silo. And we reach out to HR for things like benefits or, you know, somebody's not happy or policy or process. I mean, the last thing uh, I think we'd love, we'd, we'd like to see in our organizations is, you know, when we want to hire contract or gigsters or that more flexible workforce is hearing that we don't have a process or policy policy to support that. And mm-hmm. have you heard that coming up in as a blocker? Oh, Do people yeah. get stuck in that mindset? Yeah. Like we don't have, but, the, but that's like, it's like, it's, it, I understand that someone might not have a policy or procedure, but at the end of the day, what's, what's, what are you trying to do um, at its very core? an agile workforce liberates human potential, right? So if you don't have a policy, then it's time to like, do you scrap it? Or do you run something in parallel in another department, beta it out and test it and move it? But if you're not, if you're not looking to unleash the collective power of your entire workforce, and just to what you're saying before, it's not top down anymore. It's like, how do we get the inspiration and ideas and creativity from all levels of the organization working cross-functionally to be able to move this across. And when you've got these these old policies and procedures, people across the organization, not in HR, can can be part of action-packed teams to 
initiatives to help make it better. There's so that's the thing that blows my mind is how much HR runs as its own little, um, not little, but its own entity. Whereas in so many progressive organizations, HR is starting to realize that there are people that are passionate about the initiatives HR is doing that they can bring into their into their um, into their kind of workforce, project based workforce, and help them run things, and then and then that helps seed buy in across an organization. It's really exciting. Yeah, and I think you're you're kind of touching on you know some of the the core of the white paper that you wrote, um, which you know outlines. Uh, five challenges to workforce agility. One being, you know, lack of the leadership support uh, or for cultural change, because in some organizations, yeah. this is a massive change. Yeah. And then external talent solutions. Okay. So you've got support. Now what do you do? Then there's the structural changes, which we we're kind of talking about, which I'd love mm-hmm. to dive into a little bit in, in a minute, but just that how's your organization structured? Is it very siloed or is it cross functional? And then there's mm-hmm. the technology. Yeah. If you've got somebody, sitting on a beach in Hawaii, who's part of your team working on a project, how are they part of your organization? And there's a lot of technology to support that, but also a lack of investment in learning and development. Mm-hmm. So how do we then support our people? But, you know, we're kind of on this, this going down this little path of, of hierarchy. And, and this has come up in the consulting that, that I've been involved in as well is, do we scrap the traditional hierarchical structure? Do we, mm-hmm embrace it? Do we flatten it out? Like this is often seen as, you know, a a blocker. And even though it's just a piece of paper with a bunch of titles on it, and yes, I'm I'm probably going to get some pushback on that, but, (laughs) but, uh, but at the end of the day, it's something we've created in our organizations that holds us back. So what are, what are your thoughts on that? Do you agree? Disagree? Oh, it's, it's, it's like the million dollar question. Um, the way things have been done, are the, are they going to be the way we do things going forward? So again, like I said before, not necessarily should you rip it all down and completely start with something new and fresh. De- again, it depends on the size of your organization, what you're handling, where you're at, what are the business needs at a particular time. But um, there's some interesting solutions that can help. So again, we're talking about change and the art of change. So mm-hmm. um, Cotter, uh, John Cotter, like the, you know, the change management guru, he's got this really interesting um, theory, like theory or, or suggestion, which is he recommends companies that are like maybe medium to, to larger companies to try out a dual operating system um, where you build out a smaller project-based entity um, he even he even recommends comprising of uh, uh, volunteers saying to the company, OK, so we we need to make sure that we are meeting the competitive needs of the future and the unknowns. And so we have there's an idea and either they get volunteers to come up with the idea or they have the idea and, and they get people excited about it and people volunteer to work on this project. They still have their other jobs, but they find a way to make it work. And the interesting thing is, is if this new project starts working, people hear about it because they're still in their other jobs. They start talking about it. They're excited and they're able to use more flatter based communication structures as opposed to the usual hierarchical, put things closer to the customer even, right? So that's one of the key things around agile is listening very closely to the customer. And so they're able to build these different operating structures infusing them and as it gets very successful the success kind of speaks for itself 
It's like modeling success. And so we can actually gently infuse a larger organization with, with, hey, this works. You guys are happy with this. Let's try it. So it doesn't happen immediately. That's the thing that's hard is you've got this massive need for change quickly with what the market's doing. And then you have slow moving organizations with very different types of people and personalities. Um, an example of a, of a corporation that moved was like Microsoft. You know, they, they, they changed mindset into growth and adaptability and resilience. And they were able to do it by, by having all sorts of different types of theories about how to do that. But I love Cotter's because it's a little bit gentle um, you know, and like I mentioned before, others will get startups and they'll be like, look at this cool thing. And they'll find a way to integrate the product, um, that the startup is doing into the initiative of the larger organization, which is never easy. Um, and, but, but as we said, it always has to start with the top. If you want a really radical example is one of my most favorite radical examples of massive change is yeah, I'd love an example. Yeah. <laughs> I love this story. It's ING, um, the, the Dutch bank. And so a few years ago, they were realizing that the way consumers were interacting with banking was completely changing, flipping into that more on demand as opposed to what it was before. Before it was like, our banking hours are this and you will like it. And now it's like, heck no, you're, you know, consumer wants it when the consumer wants it. So what they did um, is they decided to start with their headquarters again starting with a with a piece of a company as opposed to the whole company and they put 1000 or what was it 3500 people on what they call mobility which is kind of like putting people on notice um mm. that they don't have a job anymore and they made um and they became very clear about what was the type of mindset that was going to be needed to be able to make the bank move forward into the next, you know, 10, 20 years. And of course it was very associated with agile mindset. And, um, and they made everybody go through interviews and they found um, astonishingly that um, 40% of people went into different jobs, like, that they weren't even doing jobs that they were good at, like that they wanted to do or were qualified to do. And um, they ended up with 1000 people left after the 3,500 to build the rest of the company. And the other interesting thing was, is that you would think, oh, they were mostly young people, right? It's like, no, they, they had a huge amount, like a, a very even balance almost of people who were older. It's just that they had the mindset, mindset of adaptability and resilience and openness to change and learning and growth. And that's what they found was fundamentally needed. So there's all these very fascinating initiatives. Of course, you got to go like they might have had some local laws and things like that that made this type of complete radical overhaul possible for them. Um, but uh, but you can go gentle or you can go swift. It just depends on on the aptitude and, and what your leadership is ready to do. Yeah, I, I love that. And I love that example uh, that you brought up, the ING Bank. And, and um, just in terms of, you know, it's moving from the traditional way of here's our hours and so you will come and uh ver and listening to the customer in a different way and yeah. that takes a lot of change um, yeah. but it starts with the the leadership yeah. right and i think you know whether you know we're not going to go down that path of you know traditional hierarchy versus flat and again that's its whole other podcast but yeah. i think the the story in that is you know, if you've got a few people in your organization who, or maybe you're even one of them who is always making that decision, well, guess what? You have 
a team of people who are uniquely uh, bright and have insights and different questions and ideas. And so I think that's one of the beauties of, of an agile team is and an agile workforce is, is encouraging different points of view yes. and encouraging different schools of thought. And yeah. so, so as a talent leader, a people leader, HR leader, you know, you're seeking to create that. Um, it's really a, man, a massive shift. It's not cool. like you're going to wake up tomorrow and say, oh, okay, let's do a podcast and this is something we should be doing. Um, <laughs> where do you start? Like, how does it, how does it take place? Like you gotta, you gotta almost like dissect the culture yeah. of an organization and, and, and get it going. So, so yeah, culture is huge on it. So strategy, of course, you know, what do you want to create? What's the demand? What's the market strategy? Of course, is very, very key to doing this. And then within that, the culture, if you, if you aren't focusing on your culture and the culture has, it's like behaviors and how you think. And so how, how the leadership thinks, how people behave, um, that has to completely flip in some organizations, or maybe some things have to be emphasized that weren't talked about before. And it has to constantly be relooked, a culture strategy that's like, okay, what's our strategy this year for our culture? What's our strategy next year for our culture? Um, and, and also another piece is like when you're looking at overhauling in terms of an agile, um, you know, trying to, trying to get more of an agile strategy in order to help your business become more agile from that perspective, um, it's, it's, it's really, it's really important to make sure that you've got, um, obviously you've got your, your leadership buy-in and, oh, I totally forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, oh, yes, yes. Now I remember. So it's really important to look at tr avoiding culture overhaul to the point where you scrap everything. So, um, there's this great, uh, resource called I4CP. Um, Institute for C Corporate Productivity, which has tons of really interesting resources. And they talked about culture of innovation when you're going. And the, I mentioned it in the white paper where you're going through, you really want to pay attention to your culture. So what is it that's been absolutely wonderful about us as a culture and as a company? And how can we take the best of us and yet still build the future? So what they're recommending is culture renovation. Um, any type of values overhaul, you'll see a lot of people recommending, try to see if you can come from where you've gone as opposed to completely scrapping and starting new, unless you're rife with absolute, you know, corruption and ethical problems and dissension and things like that. But, <laughs> yeah. um, then you should probably start, yes, yeah, start fresh. Then, then <laughs> maybe start fresh would be great. But, and, and you mentioned trust too, Tim, like um, at the beginning of our call and, Trust is a piece of this because, you know, the internet as a whole has kind of created a power inversion, right? So, so before power was, was in the hands of a few in terms of who controlled knowledge and information. Now, now we have so much knowledge and information. And so now, now consumers and workers have way more knowledge and information to, to make their decisions. And so with trust, it's like, well, they have a lot more information now. Can we create structures to help them feel trusted? Um, Bank of Montreal decided to move decision rights to the front lines, to their to their to their people that were interacting with uh, with customers. Um, so they let them make decisions before that coaches and people like that would only coaches and managers would make. But because they did that, they were trusting them. And then the cool part was is that they were able to increase the speed because there was less red tape and time spent checking on if this was okay with Bob and Sue and Nancy. So the trust piece, I mean, if you want to look at it, it almost feels like 
you know, social emotional growth that agile ties into if done well, you know, a trusting, well-rounded workforce that's liberating its potential and feeling like it's contributing on all levels. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, well, trust is a foundation in, in my opinion, uh, to, to any organization to, you know, from the, from the very beginning all the way through to, um, how you hire, how you release products. And, you know, I think, uh, trust is a, a massive conversation yeah. on its, on its own. And it so, and so I think, you know, from, for our listeners, if, if you're listening and thinking, okay, I've, I've, you know, I'm maybe looking to hire someone maybe internally because we're growing, you know, there's, there's an opportunity there to, to not necessarily have to hire someone and relocate someone into your office or into your building. It's, it's to look at maybe hiring remote. Is it yeah. a project? Is yeah. it, you know, I read a stat once where, you know, if you hire someone and, and they don't work out, it can cost anywhere up to a third or half of that salary. So, you know, that could be anywhere from, you know, 50 to hundreds of thousands of dollar mistakes. So, you know, not saying that should scare you from hiring people, but it's something that I think we need to adapt. And, and, and I believe that the generations coming up and even the current generation are looking for that flexibility in, in, in job, in work, where to work, like maybe contracts taken on, um, really to not just, you know, I need to get a job because I need to pay bills, but I want to get a job to fulfill a greater purpose, whether whatever that purpose may be. Mm-hmm. And so that may allow, you know, companies and talent leaders and HR people to start adapting or at a minimum exploring, okay, what does an agile workforce look like in, in, in my company? Because it looks different in every organization. If you're a company of 10 people, it's going to look very different than a company of 10,000 people. So Mm-hmm. What does that look like? And you know, I think the white paper really sums it up as there's challenges, but also massive opportunity and opportunity to get unstuck, to un- unlock the potential of of your people. I think you'd called it, um, and maybe it's, I think I read it a quote from Accenture, liberates human potential. Yes. Um, it, and, I, and I love that. I love that, uh, that quote. Um, but it also will help, uh, you know, help you and your organization move quicker and, and, and more effectively and more efficiently. So, yeah, yeah. So, especially, uh, especially with like, like uh, robotics, AI technology, and simply so like, oh my gosh, are we going to get rid of our jobs? What does that mean? It's like, but when we're thinking two to three years ahead, um, as much as we possibly can as HR professionals, and recruitment professionals, um, maybe there's a way that we can get on top of that so that the jobs we do are actually involved the thrilling, interesting, strategic, creative bits, and we're able to delegate some of the more monotonous parts of our tasks to the technology to help us. And I wanted to make sure I mentioned technology because, um, you know, we talk about liberating human potential and trust. Those are huge ingredients um, in this, but it's always underscored by technology as well as the mindset and culture of its people to effectively make an agile workforce um, a real possibility for you. Yeah. I love that you brought that up. Um, I think in, again, in future podcasts, we're going to talk about technologies and how, um, Mm -hmm. new technologies and different technologies. And I know the white paper is sponsored by Weaver and it's weaver.io. Um, you know, there's, there's some cool companies and cool technologies to support and and enable and, and elevate our, our people. And, um, and regardless of where you sit in an organization. So, 
as we wrap up, is, is there one main takeaway in, in if somebody's listening to this going, okay, I want to adapt this. Where do I start? What is, what is that one, one takeaway, one, one nugget of wisdom aside from, Hey, just go read the white paper. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's complex and multifaceted, but um, an agile workforce starts with you, especially if you're in an influencer position, it starts with you. And it, you know, how are you working? What is your mindset? Where are you adaptable, resilient? Where are you holding on to? This is the way we do things. Um, are, are your projects taking the best of agile and technology solutions? And is the culture that you're helping to hire and create and, you know, making space and making way for agility? Um, and, and of course, with your leadership, because you're not a solo person. So your team or your team, you know, manifesting these behaviors. If you have that, there's a place you can start from. And if you're not sure, then there's tons of resources that are popping up like this paper and other podcasts and training. And, and um, it's actually very exciting because at its best, like we said, it, it has the capacity to open up um, people to a greater contribution level from any level of an organization, even in, if you eradicate the levels, it's very, very exciting. Mm-hmm. I love that. And um, so we will have a link to the white paper um, uh, down below in the comment section. So, you know, we can guide our listeners to that. And, and also, Teresa, uh, how can people track you down? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm in the process of building websites. So you can always find me on LinkedIn. Um, so I'm Teresa without an H, Duke, D-U-K-E. And you can also email me, Teresa at TeresaDuke.com. And I love talking about all of this stuff. So I'm, I'm happy to connect anytime. Perfect. And we will also have uh, links to how to how to reach out to Teresa, uh, her email as well as through LinkedIn. So thank you so much, Teresa, um, um, for your time today. I, I think it's an interesting conversation and something that as people leaders, whether you're in HR or talent or wherever you are in an organization, we need to be thinking about this because if, if you're not, uh, your competitors are. And so mm-hmm. this is, this is something that we need to be, um, needs to be top of mind and how to build more agility into our, our environments, our, our workforces and our companies. So thank you again. And, uh, for those who are listening, if uh, you like what you heard, I'd love to hear your honest comments down below. Please also head to peoplemanagingpeople.com and subscribe to our newsletter. Also check out our site uh, for tools and insights on how to manage people, how to, how to lead people. And with that, uh, thank you for listening and have a great day.